couple were about to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary and um, the young reporter come, uh, came to, to speak to the elderly gentleman and she said, wow, 60 years. And she sa- then she said, what did you do for your 50th wedding anniversary? And the elderly gentleman said, I took my wife to China. And she was like, oh, that is so sweet. So what are you going to do for your 60th wedding anniversary? And he said, I'm going back to China to pick her up. (laughs) A happy marriage. (laughs) Um, I'd also ask that you uh, either switch your phones off or just on on, um, silent, please, because this is your time. This is your time to soak in the Lord, to be in his presence, to hear what the Lord has to say to you. So that would be great. We'd really appreciate that. I'd just like to go through our program very briefly. First of all, we have six speakers this morning. Three, three of the speakers will be speaking uh, before morning tea and three will be speaking after morning tea. Um, we all have different topics that um, will be spoken about, but it's all under the heading of guarding your heart. Um, I would like to introduce the planning committee. Jenny Stone, if you'd like to stand up. Yes, this is Jenny Stone. She, she did the catering, um, has done an awesome job meeting all your dietary requirements, um, assisted by her team. <laughs> Thank you very much, including her husband, who's not here, obviously. <laughs> Trish Reed and Jude Fisher. Jude Fisher is right down the back. Trish Reed, if you'd stand up, please. Oh, she's at the back as well. Um, these lovely ladies, they, they designed and planned um, and put together your beautiful gift bags. They did the decorations as well. Um, they've done a lot of work and um, beautifully made with love. Some of the bags have got a surprise gift in them. Sadly, it's not a trip to Hawaii, but anyway, (laughs) we did our best. (laughs) Julie Roberts, if you would stand up, please, as well. Julie, thank you. She's heading the the prayer and intercession team, and if the team who are praying, please stand up as well. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Um, So... We will have a time of prayer after the three speakers and then again after the morning break, after the three speakers again. So if there is something that the Lord is speaking to you about or just you just want someone to come, uh, you just want some prayer or you just want someone to come in agreement with you about something that the Lord's been speaking to you about, please come forward and these lovely ladies will pray with you. Um... Also on the planning committee is Kathy Feller. <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> and um, she has worked together with these lovely ladies here um, uh, to bring us the worship. And um, Kathy has also written and composed two of the songs. Yes. I will talk more about Kathy shortly. But I would like to introduce the band. 
we have Kathy C on keyboard. Woo! We have Krista on guitar. Yay! We have Molly on bass. Woo! And we have Lynn on vocals. Yay! And we have Kathy Fowler on vocals. And I am the sixth member of the committee. Um, I'm the secretary, the money bags, the gopher, and somehow I ended up with the short straw to be the facilitator as well. Yay! <laughs> I think I was away that day when they appointed the... <laughs> A big thank you to Lee Roberts. Thank you, she's on the computer. And Sal Brattel at the back. She's our photographer. Our press lady. <laughs> Woo! Thank you. So it's a lot of work, a lot of time has gone into, into this conference and um, I'd like to um, just explain a little bit about flourishing and how it started. It was birthed in August 2020 when God spoke to Kathy Fowler about a women's conference. He also downloaded the content and who the speakers would be. And from there, a planning committee came together and much prayer and planning and eating cakes has gone into this flourishing conference. For a couple of months, we had no name, but at a Wednesday morning women's morning tea in October, I read Psalms 52.8 from the Passion Translation, and it goes like this. But I am like a flourishing olive tree, anointed in the house of God. I trust in the unending love of God. The passion toward me is forever and ever. I saw Kathy's eyes light up and flourishing it was. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we commit this time to you. Have your way in each one of us. And release us from all concerns, all worries, so we can settle in your peace, so we can soak in your presence. Have your way in us. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hello, everybody. Do, <laughs> do we all believe that the Holy Spirit is with us today? Yeah. Okay. So if we all believe that, I do. Definitely believe that. Let's stand up and praise the Lord. Thank you. I just um, forgot to mention that um, we have freedom in this place to worship in whatever way you'd like to. We have banners up on both sides if you'd like to use them. If you want to come forward and um, just be in this front bit, that's good. If you want to dance, if you want to kneel, if you want to lie on the floor, if you want to... Whatever you'd like to do, whatever is your thing for praising the Lord, please feel free to do it today. Thank you. Stop. So 
All I 
Jesus, 
Searching heart, this Jesus, how precious. Mender of a million shattered parts, this Jesus, relentless. Oh, oh. This Jesus, this Jesus, so wonderful, so beautiful, so kind and lovely, isn't he, isn't he, beyond compare, treasure rich and
How beautiful was that? Thank you, Jesus. 
As I mentioned earlier that um, each of the speakers will be speaking on a different topic and um, but under the heading of guarding your heart and I'm the first speaker and I'm speaking on guarding your heart through um, identity. There's a program I love watching. I always need tissues with me and my husband just can't understand it because I'm like, oh, I really love this. I really love this program. It's so good. In between the tears and the <laughs> wiping my eyes, blowing my nose. He's like, what? <laughs> it's called Long Lost Family. I don't know how many of you know that program. It's people looking for their blood relatives, children who have been given up for adoption and uh, looking for their family. They felt um, that where they've been, in, even though some of them have been deeply loved in their, fam in their adopted families, um, sadly some not, but uh, all of them have felt like there's something, something missing and um, mothers looking for children that they were forced to give up as teenagers. Um, and as I said, some children actually went to loving homes and others uh, sadly did not. Sometimes it was a grown-up child looking uh, for their birth mother. Sometimes it's siblings who find out that they've actually got another sibling who was um, adopted out. So they go looking for their sibling. In all of this, there is a craving, there's a longing, a need to know what happened. There's a need to, feeling like there's something missing in their lives. Amazingly, when they finally met, um, there was an instant connection, a strong bond in nearly all situations. It's just amazing. And it also gave them answers. You know, the, the questions, was I loved? What happened? They may not get all the answers, but, but they got some of the answers and an understanding of what happened. And for the mothers who had to give the children up, it was, will my adult child forgive me? But then when they actually meet up, they realise the strong resemblance that they have with, um, with, the, with the relative, with the blood relative. And suddenly it's, it's like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got her eyes. I've got a mouth. Oh yeah, we've got the same face shape where maybe they were in a family that was quite different from them, you know. Um, you, know a sh you know, a chubby person and, and all the rest of the family's all, you know, sl slim and tall, you know, uh, things like that, just differences. And, the, and suddenly, oh, it's, I've got the same nose as you. There's, there's a connection there. It's a sense of coming home, of identity, of belonging. I came to Australia when I was um, just under two years old with my parents. Um, there was uh, four of us kids. And um, so my only relatives here in Australia were my parents and my siblings. So our birthdays and Christmases were just the six of us. 
We um, spoke a foreign language. We ate foreign food, rye bread and things like that. Um, we're foreign cu culture. And it was quite strange coming to terms in a strange place, even as a little girl, because I felt it from my parents and my, from my older siblings. I was the youngest one. One day my neighbour girlfriend said, um, I can't play with you today. I'm my auntie and my uncle, my cousins are coming over to, to our place. And so I waited at my gate. I waited and I waited and I waited to see what uncle, aunties and cousins looked like. I had no idea. And I just waited until they turned up. This car pulls up and they pile out and, um, and then my girlfriend's family, they all rushed out of the house and they all hugged each other. And I was like, wow, that's what love looks like. They were so overjoyed to see each other. I was like, wow, that's nice. When I was 13, my parents and I went back to Finland. And it was then that I met my grandmother, my cousins, my auntie and uncle. But I had met them when I was a, ba a baby, but I didn't remember them. But there was an instant connection. It's, if you haven't had it before and you get it, you know the difference. There's an instant connection. It's amazing, even still to this day, my cousins are like my brothers and my sister. I've only got one girl cousin. We were just connected. And even though I might not see them for 10 years or whatever, we're connected. It's amazing, amazing sensation. And um, it's hard to explain. It's just this invisible um, thread that links us. We are family. And I have the pleasure now of watching that with my children and their aunties and uncles and cousins. I see so many similarities when I met my, my uncle and my aunties, my, my, my grandmother, my, my um, cousins. So many similar similarities. Our humour was the same. Not with it, all of them, but there was different connections I just saw. I was like, wow, this is just interesting, yeah. And I now see that same connection with my, my children. It's just wonderful to see that. Something invisible that draws us together as a family. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more to this family thing. There is a yearning that all mankind has that is missing something in their lives. They know something is missing in their lives and that's Jesus. People look to fill that void in all kinds of ways, addictions, new age, relationships, material possessions, religion. Jeremiah 1.5 says... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, you were set apart. Psalms 139.13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
there is something that comes up quite a lot when I've um, done counselling and ministry over the years and that's something called an orphan spirit. So even though um, people have given their lives to the Lord, just as these adult children in the program, long lost family, I hear people say things like, um, I feel like something's missing, um, I, I don't feel I'm good enough, um, I, I, don't, I don't know why I'm alive. They even have to justify their being alive, um, uh, needing to qualify or to measure up and it shows in certain behaviours, um, a need to control and keep rela relationships distant, feeling disconnected with people and with God, not able to trust. They're just a few of the things that come up. And this can come from upbringing, abuse, words spoken over you, um, trauma, and even how we see things and how we believe things to be. Because I know when I've sat around with my siblings and we've talked about a certain situation, certain event, we were all there, but we all saw things differently. It's like, hey, wait a minute, that's not what happened. <laughs> But they're seeing it from a different perspective. We're all seeing it differently. And that can happen in life. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. 1 John 3, 1-2 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Our earthly fathers um, are meant to give us identity. Um, but we live in a fallen world, and for most of us, that hasn't happened. Um, maybe we have even been given a false identity, like you're stupid, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not, not worth anything, um, you're just a girl. Um, there's a, a multitude, myriad of things that could be said over you, uh, and which you may have taken on board as, a, as your identity. Our true identity comes from our Heavenly Father. He tells us who we are. It is all written in um, the Word, the Bible. But I had to repent because I was seeing my Heavenly Father with my earthly Father's characteristics. For example, I would be praying and I'd say, If you have time for me, Lord. So I was placing my earthly father's characteristics to heavenly father. I had to repent of that. I've heard some say they see heavenly father as an angry God, a distant God, too busy God, can't talk to him God, a scary God. You hear about Jesus, 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 but father God doesn't come in the picture. Our Heavenly Father is nothing like our earthly fathers. Praise God. I love my dad, but hey, <laughs> Father God's awesome. And I had to repent and begin to know Papa God. Not only who he is, but also who I am. And in guarding our heart, we need to clearly establish 
who Papa God is and who he says we are. And then never let the enemy try and tell you otherwise. Draw the line in the sand and say, no way, Jose. And it is from that place that we grow in relationship and discover all that God has created us to be. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. We choose, we choose the course of our lives. I do have some um, slips of paper that have got uh, who I am in Christ. They've got verses on them. Um, I've only got a few, so um, it'll be first come, first serve for that. (laughs) Um, And um, if you are struggling with anything that I have said and you would like some prayer, after the third speaker, there will be an opportunity for you to come up and have some prayer with the, the lovely prayer prayer warriors that will be up the front here pr- and pray with you. Thank you. Now I'd like to pass on to our next speaker and that is Bonnie Lunnan, and she's going to be speaking on guarding your heart through parenting. Thank you. I think I should have stapled my pages together. I'm not sure how I'm going to go with the, <laughs> the fan, but we'll see how we go. So for those who don't mean, my name's Bonnie, um, and I was asked to share this morning on guarding your heart through motherhood, I've said, since I'm a mum. Um, I spent a lot of time reflecting on how this topic relates to my mothering journey. Um, I've written this out so many times, changed so many things. It's taken me way longer than it needed to. But as I prayed about it and I left it with the Lord for a while, he began showing me so much. There have been so many different seasons and events and circumstances um, that I've been through and he has brought me through that have produced so many different emotions that over time I've had to deal with because a lot of them were negative and they were impacting me negatively. So some things I was able to recognise and deal with quickly but other things took a long time Um, simply because I didn't, where I was in my walk with the Lord, I didn't know any different. Um, But gradually I began to see the importance of guarding my heart as a mum and as a Christian woman. So, just a little background about my journey. For those who don't know me or know me well, um, I've been a mum for 24 years. Sorry, 24 years now. Maybe if I hold it, it might be better. When Tim and I married, we were quite young. um, But we always said that we wanted to have our kids while we were young. So we'd still have plenty of time to get out and do things together as we got older. Um, So... Two years after we married, we had our first child. We had a son whom we named Nicholas. He was followed not quite three years later by another son, Joshua. And we were really happy with our little family. And it seemed as though... Sorry, I'm blowing all over the place. It seemed as though our family was complete. That was until six years later when we found out we were expecting our number three, our little girl, and we welcomed Rosalie to our family. And again, it seemed that we were done. 
But fast forward another 11 years and we were surprised but very blessed to welcome Malachi John to our lives and family, uh, which is now very much complete. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so just as we wanted to have our kids while we were young, now we can still have many years ahead of us so we can still get out and do things before we get too old. When we found out we were having Malachi and told everyone, um, someone very kindly pointed out to us that by the time Malachi graduates year 12, we will have had kids in school for 36 years. But I was really actually impacted by one of the songs that we sang this morning. I'm guessing maybe it was Kathy's that said, so much better God's way or... Is it? No, it wasn't yours? That song, just isn't that so true? It's just so much better God's way. Like my way, you know, we would have missed out on so much blessing. So the things I have to share with you today are from my personal journey of motherhood. So maybe some of these things will resonate with you as well, but maybe some of them won't. I love being a mum, I always have. It's definitely one of the best things I've been given the privilege of being and it's definitely a privilege. It is loads of fun and it is so rewarding but it's also one of the most challenging and important things that I've ever done. But thankfully I've learned along the way that I have Jesus to help me because I certainly need him. So as mothers guarding our hearts is so important not just for ourselves, but for our children and our family as well. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. I actually wrote this verse down sometime last year, just before I was asked to speak today. Um, and I'd also written a question for myself, <coughs> which is, what are some of the things that I'm allowing to take root in my heart? Because when I'm pressed, that's what will pour out. I found it so beneficial and important for me to examine my heart from time to time and ask the Lord to show me what I'm storing up in there. Because some of it's not good. Those things that are not life-giving. And equally important to get into the Word daily. I found that the Word is the ultimate guide to life-giving motherhood. If you don't know what to do, just get into the Word. In God, we have everything we need and the word contains everything we need in order to love and nurture and teach our kids. We just have to look at how far the God relates to us, um, but we have to get into it and know what it says in order to live it. Let's see how this goes. I read a little passage recently and it really um, impacted me. Um, it really spoke to me. It says, God is on the throne. He's still king. He's still Lord. Motherhood is a daily surrender and God sees all the hard stuff even when no one else can. May our focus be on the one who is our strength. As a mum there were always challenges but I've learnt and I'm still learning that to navigate them I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I think God must think I still need to work on all this stuff since I'm still going. I've got the two-year-old stage now. So when I first had kids... I wanted to do all the things. I was going to do everything the way I was doing it before I had kids. I didn't realise at the time there were some seasons when we might need to lay some things down. Um, 
and trust God to show us when to pick them up again. I had a lot of expectations that I'd put on myself. No one else had put them there, I'd put them on myself. Because I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum, I wanted to look after Nicholas, or Nick, sounds funny saying Nicholas. Um, I wanted to be the one looking after him, but I also wanted to continue to run my small business that I had, with very little help, I might add. And I wanted to do it all perfectly. That's what, I, that's what my plans were. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have goals or ambitions. Absolutely not. But what I was doing, I was doing for the wrong reasons. So when I began to struggle as a first-time mum, and I didn't have time for a business as well, I felt that I'd failed on both counts. I felt I'd failed as a mum, and I'd failed to do something that I really loved doing as well. I felt pretty hopeless and I really felt like I was a failure because I couldn't see at the time that my expectations were unrealistic. Um, I didn't realise at that time that I was trying to find my identity in the things that I did um, because I didn't know anything about <laughs> finding my identity in Christ at that time. I was trying to find it in what I could achieve rather than finding it in Jesus. And it took me a long time to understand that. But when I finally did, when I knew who I was in Christ and I surrendered my life to him, he helped me to be faithful to my calling as mum and to all that he called me to do. So I discovered that sometimes things don't turn out the way we imagine. But when we guard our hearts by knowing who we are in Christ and not what we do or achieve... Then when troubles come, when hardship comes, our hearts are protected. So as a mum, um, I've discovered that there are so many things that will try and steal your joy and in life in general. And comparison is one of them. I used to compare myself to other mums that I would think had, had it all together. They you know, always looked beautiful and their kids were perfectly behaved and house was immaculate. And here I was struggling to brush my teeth by nine o'clock. Um, and that wasn't healthy at all. Um, so that can leave us feeling dissatisfied and discontent, um, wanting to be like someone else um, rather than who God made us to be or to have a low opinion of ourselves. Hopefully this is still all in order. <laughs> I've certainly been there. Um, I was feeling a lot of pressure to just to keep up with what everyone else was doing. But that was until the Lord helped me to see that he made each of us uniquely. He made me and my kids and my family uniquely. He also made you and your kids and your family uniquely. Each with unique gifts and strengths and personalities. And that just leaves no place for comparison. How can you compare people and things that are so uniquely different? And I also realised that he made me the perfect person to raise my kids because sometimes I would doubt that. There is no one better suited to raise my kids than me just as there is no one better suited to raise your kids than you. If you're still in that place, don't ever doubt that. And someone at Restoration Centre actually encouraged that with me with that not very long ago. And um, yeah, it really meant a lot to me. Okay, sometimes as a mum, 
life just seems to be on repeat. Particularly when your children are young, you do the same things over and over, day after day. And it can lead you feeling frustrated, you might feel resentment or discouragement. But some time ago I learnt that committing my way to the Lord each day helps me see the day that the joy that each new day brings. And I have struggled with this over the years, but I've actually discovered a way for me to overcome these emotions is by practicing thankfulness. So for me, and it's not going to work for everyone, for me, endless loads of washing means that we have clothes to wear and I'm thankful for that. And lots of dishes means that we've eaten well. Like I said, some people that would frustrate. <laughs> but for me, it produces thankfulness. Um, I also reflect on something that I realised um, almost 14 years ago when we brought Rosalie home from hospital. And you've probably heard it before, that the days are long but the years are short. I realised, um, holding Rosalie as a baby, how quickly the years had gone by and how I needed to make the most of um, every day. There won't always be dirty soccer gear dumped on the laundry floor. And you might be surprised that I'm actually missing that right at the moment because <laughs> uh, Josh moved out well, three weeks ago, I think, and it always used to annoy me, but now I, it's just this bare clean laundry floor and it's, it's just really weird. There won't always be dirty handprints all over the walls or toys all over the floor and one day Malachi won't want me to read the same book five times in a row like he did this morning. And I thank God that on days when I feel like no one else sees me, he does. And I remind myself that mothering my kids is a task of eternal value. So if you're still mothering your kids at home, perhaps you can remind yourself of that too from time to time. Jesus is king. And see, we can even do things with one hand when you're mum. <laughs> um, he's king over the ordinary, everyday moments in life, just as much as those that we would deem more spiritual. A verse that speaks to me as a mum, and it might speak to others as well, is Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, which says, Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies come to an end. Never come to an end, sorry. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No matter what kind of day the day has been, no matter what's gone down, tomorrow is a new day. His compassion never fails. His love never fails. His mercy never fails. His strength never fails. And so I love that verse for that reason. So as mums, and I can only speak as a mum, I'm sure dads do as well, but I, I think we feel things deeply. We always want to do the very best for our kids, but sometimes we fall short of the best that we're trying to be. And that can lead us to having regrets, regrets about um, mistakes we've made or something we, we've done or shouldn't done or should have done differently. Um, and I certainly have had regrets over the years. I've been parenting long enough to have regrets. <laughs> um, but I've learned, God has shown me that dwelling on them doesn't change them. Um, uh, it just keeps me in the past, keeps me in that place of regret. He wants me to surrender it to him, to give it all to him. He's promised that he is faithful and he will take it. I need to learn from it 
but not be stuck in that place of regret. And likewise, there seems to be always something as a mum that could cause us to worry because we just want the best for our kids in every area of their lives and every stage. You never stop being their mum, no matter how old they are. But as much as I love them, I know that God loves them more. He is faithful. Don't ever stop praying for them, but we have to trust God with them. And I know um, there's so many other areas of motherhood that I haven't even touched on. You know, there's the challenging behaviours, whether it's a two-year-old or a teenager or what have you, rebellion, or it might be loss that you're facing. But just remember that God sees it. You don't have to face it alone. And lastly, sometimes things happen that are unexpected. We can have our lives planned out. Even if we're seeking the Lord, we can sort of have an idea of how our life is tracking and where we're going and that sort of thing. Then something can come along that we didn't see coming and it can take us completely off guard. But it's in times like this that we realise the importance of being planted in the Lord, being grounded in him and having our hope and trust in him only. So for me, as most of you will know, it was a completely unexpected pregnancy. It was something that was not in our thoughts at all. I couldn't stress that more, not in our thoughts at all. But I couldn't imagine it any other way now. So should I say, so back in 2018, April, um, I started to suspect that I might be pregnant. But um, for the next nine weeks or so, I considered every possible alternative for what I was experiencing. I explored it all. But when I look back on it now, and I know even in the midst of that time, even from the very first day, I knew that I was pregnant, but I wasn't ready for it to become real. My heart and my head had to catch up with what was happening in my body. I couldn't even talk about it. Um, and that's one, re one thing that I wish I had have done. I wish I'd been able to talk about it, but I just couldn't at that time. It was a really hard time for me. And I remember the first week asking God what was going on. All I wanted was a yes or a no. I just wanted him to clear it up right there and there. But all I felt he said to me was, trust me. And so that's what I did. It sounds simple, but it certainly wasn't. But I knew he was faithful from experience. And I knew I could trust him. Um, he would have helped me anyway, whatever I did. But... Um, I really felt that he carried me through that time as I adjusted to such a big change in my life. And it did take time for me to adjust my thinking to, to the fact that we're having another baby. I was 45 at the time and so there is 22 years between our oldest and our youngest. But even in the midst of all that, I didn't know quite how to explain it, but there were just moments when it was just me and Malachi and God and it was just um, I guess amazement and awe and thankfulness for God, what God was enabling me to be able to do one more time um, and as I said I knew God was faithful and I could trust him and that made all the difference um, something that I'd forgotten until I was preparing for today um, was that God, had, God gave me a vision and it was really significant it was in the first few weeks 
and it was significant because I don't generally have, a, have visions. Um, and this was so clear and it was such a confirmation. I was lying in bed, not thinking about anything, which was unusual because I had been waking up feeling quite stressed and trying to work out what was going on and that sort of thing. Um, but he gave me this really clear vision and it was just a baby curled up in its mother's womb. And it was so clear and it was so awesome. And my first thought was, oh, I can't wait till Tim wakes up so I can tell him about this vision. But then straight away I was like, oh, no, I can't tell him because that makes it real then. Like, so <laughs> I didn't actually tell him for ages. <laughs> but for me that was just another confirmation. And God provided and helped all the way. He gave me a song one morning um, as I woke up and that just encouraged me over and over again. And he just continued to help me. Um, one thing I didn't have was a regular doctor. And I was a bit worried about that because I, I was feeling insecure, I guess. Um, I didn't want one that was going to be judgmental or pushy or anything like that. Um, but the first doctor I went to was awesome. He was so encouraging. If any, ever I said anything about my age, he would say, you're not old, I'm old. He was just so good. And I really felt God provided him for me at that time because he was there all the way through the pregnancy right up until Malachi and I both had our six-week checks and then he was gone. And I thought, oh, wow, thank you, God, that you, you did that for me because that was something I was really worried about. I had a great pregnancy. I had no real problems, no morning sickness and a good birth. I couldn't have asked for anything better. And the Lord protected me from fear and worry about the birth, which I have felt about previous births. I had nothing at all. So eventually we had to tell everyone as it was becoming obvious. <laughs> One lady at church actually guessed and I said, oh, sh we haven't told anyone yet, so she kept it to herself for another week. Um, so we told the kids first. We were very nervous about that. Um, I still remember Nick and Krista was there as well. Um, but they were surprised, very surprised, but great. Then we rang uh, family. I rang my mum and dad, who were funny. Um, and then I didn't know how my siblings were really going to respond. I knew they'd be good, but I ranked them in order of super excited, who I thought would be super excited, to might make a joke at my expense. And I rang them in or that order, but they were all awesome. Um, then we told the rest of our friends and our restoration family who were so supportive and encouraging. It was just incredible, like amazing. When I read through this yesterday, that bit made me cry. So <laughs> um, and not long after, someone, a beautiful lady, I don't think, she, oh, she is here, Joy, um, gave me a verse of scripture which simply said, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. And um, that just meant so much to me. It, it was such an encouragement. Um, I had it by my bedside and so every night and every morning um, I'd look at it and it just encouraged me so much. So I, I am in no doubt that the Lord had me in his arms and he carried me through. Um, and I think he protected my heart as well as I put my trust in him. 
And at some point, I can't really say when, I fully embraced all that was happening. And after nine months, we welcomed our fourth blessing into the world, Malachi, who is very much loved by everyone. And he's such a blessing to all of us. <coughs> so if I didn't know it before, I know now more than ever that the Lord is my peace, he's my comfort, he's my joy, my strength, my source of unconditional love and acceptance. The pages have got this up. So that's all I really had. But just in closing, I just wanted to say that God is faithful. We can trust him with it, whatever situation we're going through, whatever struggles we have. As we journey through motherhood or just life in general, he will carry our burdens for us if, he, if we let him. We're not meant to carry them alone. And he will protect our hearts as we surrender it all to him. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. That was beautiful. Ladies, um, if you had tears in your eyes like I did, um, there's tissue. We've actually put tissues in the, in the bags so you can all have a tissues. <laughs> oh, thank you, Bonnie. That was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, from the heart. Um, our next speaker is um, speaking on guarding your heart through spiritual... Um, Deception, and that is Marano Nassau. I hope I said your surname right. Maybe you might be able to rectify. Surname was right, first name wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. my Bible up to try and keep the papers out and learn from your, 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 your terror here. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who, he, who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk, stay away from corrupt speech, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet, stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked, keep your feet from following evil. Proverbs 4, 20 to 27. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marina and I have been a born-again Christian for two and a half years. Up until then, I had an interesting journey through several spiritual deceptions that unfortunately some Christians are caught up in without even knowing it. Today I'm going to speak to you about the New Age movement and I will help you to understand that this is something we need to guard our hearts from. I was born and raised in a nominal Catholic home mass every Sunday and Catholic school my whole life. At around the age of 17, I put my foot down and refused to go any longer. Funny thing is, approximately five or so years later, my mother stopped going too. And we both began to delve into spiritual books and teachings. 
And this gave us a renewed relationship where we came together to go to yoga classes, meditation classes and all kinds of courses on crystals and chakras and spirit guides. And this became my belief system. Defining this belief system isn't easy. People sometimes categorise it as a cult, but it's not as simple as that. It is better described as a loosely structured network of people and groups who share a common vision of enlightenment and harmony. Those who share this vision typically hold to a particular worldview that centres on pantheism and mysticism. Followers of this movement worship and worship self and creation or the universe rather than worshipping any god. They believe that they have total control of their lives, can create their own realities and can will into existence whatever they wish for. In other words, pantheism. Most of them do not even know the term new age and if they are questioned about their faith, they say they are spiritual. In fact, they believe that the new age is more spiritual than any other belief system. All other faiths are archaic and old-fashioned. This is the oldest lie in the Bible. When Satan told Eve, you won't die, God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So I attended workshops on meditation to learn to calm my mind. I read endless self-help books trying to find joy. I recited positive affirmations daily to gain wealth and practiced yoga to attain a higher consciousness and inner Zen. I would notice signs from the universe and act upon them. I spent so much money on New Age books on all subjects, wealth, happiness, relationships. While reading them, I was made to feel like I was on the right track. And at the end, I would feel like I wanted more. More guidance, more power, more control over my life. So I would go back to my searching and the treadmill of never attaining this ultimate higher consciousness. Instead, I began to feel helpless and stressed about life and felt hopeless when seeing how terrible the world was becoming. It was a vicious cycle. I was always looking for something that I felt was missing, seeking, exploring every avenue, hungry for answers. Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? I just knew that there had to be more, that I was missing some key that would make everything make sense. Quite recently, I came, into a, came across a piece of scripture that is used quite often when talking about the end times. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy to warn him about what life will be like in the end times. Verses 1 to 4 are this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends be reckless, 
be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Now these verses show us a very dark time. But according to what I am witnessing, I believe we are here already. However, as I kept reading, verses 5 to 7 hit me right in the face. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Now I'm going to pause here and read that again, but I'm going to replace the word religious with spiritual. They will act spiritual, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. This personifies somebody in the new age perfectly. A little bit further on and Paul continues, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. This was me for 25 years. My actual conversion to Christianity is an interesting story, which I will try to narrow down for sake of time. But if anyone would like my full testimony, come and see me at the break and I'll link you to it. We all know that God pursues us. In his perfect timing, he meets us wherever we are in life and opens our eyes to his truth. God opened my eyes through a series of Facebook posts and testimonies. Even though none of my friends were following Jesus and I wasn't following any Christian pages. But God makes a way. But the clincher was when I found out one of my favourite New Age authors had become a born-again Christian. In a split second, I instantly knew I had been wrong for most of my life and looking for answers in all the wrong places. From then on, it was as if I needed to make up for lost time. I bought my first Bible and devoured it daily. I couldn't get enough of God's word. I found my church family and so many people who helped me along my path. Within days, I literally destroyed everything I owned from the New Age, books, crystals and statues. In Acts 19.19, Luke tells us that new believers in Ephesus who had been practicing sorcery burned their incantation books in a public bonfire to show their obedience to Jesus. And I definitely wanted to show my obedience to Jesus. At this point, I discovered that life is determined by the dictation of the heart. For, for the springs of life flow out of the heart, according to King Solomon. Everything flows from it, whether good or bad. The mouth is audible voice of the heart, the lifestyle its manifestation. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, as the tree is known by its own fruit, good or bad. So the heart of man is known by his or her words and actions. After studying, starting to study the Bible, I gave up yoga and meditation. 
After researching, I discovered that yoga has its roots in Eastern religions. The Sanskrit word yoga actually means union or yoking, aiming at bringing about the union of the human spirit with the spirit of the universe. And if you think that you can use yoga only for physical exercise and not be affected by its spiritual side, you are wrong. You are wrong if you believe the many websites and teachers in the West who declare that yoga is just a harmless physical stretching. It may be true that yoga and perhaps even the breathing techniques can have some health benefits, but the ultimate goal in yoga is something much more sinister. According to ancient Hindu texts, the intention of yoga is to produce the spiritual awakening of what is known as kundalini, which is taught as being a snake coiled around the base of the spine. In other words, the physical exercises and positions, along with the breathing techniques and chanting, were originally developed for religious practices. This is the reason why we need to guard our hearts from spiritual deception, for it is the leading factor that determines and directs one's life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We all need to ask ourselves this question. What kind of a relationship do I want to have with God? If God is a personal and truly loving God, does he want us to desire what is of the flesh? Does he want us bowing down to Hindu gods? Or does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? When the Israelites were settled in to their promised land, one of the last things that Joshua said to them all before he died was, and so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you, do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow in worship to them. So your new question should be, how do we guard our heart from spiritual deception? The only way to be on top of all the lies is to be on top of the truth. Read God's word daily. This is the most important thing you can do. Don't rely on any preacher, evangelist, sermon, and definitely don't trust me. The only one you can trust to be faithful and true is our triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let me go back to 2 Timothy 3, 5-7 and let us look at one more important key in this verse. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. The key is verse 6. And win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin. They fall into Satan's trap because they are burdened with the guilt of sin. Ladies, 
Should we as Christians be burdened with the guilt of sin? Or have we been washed clean by the blood of Jesus? Jesus Christ, manifest in the flesh, came down from his throne in heaven and died an excruciating death, bearing our sin upon him. Then he rose from the dead, defeating death and Satan in one fell swoop, and is right now alive and seated at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. That is the good news. The gospel can free you from guilt. It should not burden you. Did Jesus die in vain? Did he die just so that we could bow down to Hindu gods because of the excuse that it feels good to stretch our muscles? Or do we pick up our cross and seek first his kingdom? I would like to finish with Hosea 6, 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us, now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Thank you. door's very heavy, <laughs> very heavy door. Um, so we're going to, um, if, if there's anyone that would like some prayer, um, please come up the front and, um, and we'll have some uh, worship going um, and then we'll have morning tea and um, Jenny Stone has got um, two tables set aside. There are those who have um, special needs, will be where Jenny Stone is. And then, um, then the other table, she will let you know. But first, we're just going to have a little bit of uh, worship time. And if you would like some prayer, please come up the front and, um, and receive some prayer. Joy, 
is where I belong. Fill me with hope. Fill me with joy. Under your feathers is where I belong. Protect me and keep me under your feathers. your feathers under your feathers protect me and keep me under your feathers encircle me Protect me and keep me under your feathers. Protect me and keep me under your feathers. 
Protect me and keep me under your feathers. Encircle me, God. Encircle me, God. Take
If you'd like to move up the back and start morning tea, you're most welcome to. Protect me and keep me under your feathers. Circle me, God, and circle me, God. Take Just the sum of every high and every low. Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know.
They tricked me. I got a wink from Kathy, and and then and then the music started. And I'm like, ah, do I go or not? Or was that just a wink of hello? <laughs> we have these sign languages, but neither of us can quite follow each other's. <laughs> oh anyway, it's all fun. Well, ladies, how how beautiful was our morning tea? Thank you, Jenny Stone. She did well. She was ca she did well catering for all our dietary requirements that different ones had put on their registrations. She covered all of those. That was just amazing, and um, and then she fed the rest of us. So that was wonderful. And um, so our next part uh, of guarding our heart is um, guarding our heart through illness. So I'd like to introduce to you Jude Fisher. It's not an easy subject, sickness, talking about sickness. I remember many years ago when I went to see my neurologist, he said to me, Jude, I've got good news and bad news for you. So I said, well, hit me with the bad news first. He said, well, you're going to have problems with your long-term memory and you're going to have severe deficit with your short-term memory. And I said, oh, that's really bad. I'm not going to remember things. And he said, yeah, it's really bad. And I said, well, what's the good news then? He said, well, the good news, that's the best part. By the time you get home, you're going to forget you've got a problem anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> we rebuke that in Jesus' name. <laughs> so when we talk about, now this is going to blow everywhere. You might need a pin to pin it down. Oh, pegs. Oh, we got pegs. We got pegs. Amen. Some, someone washing is missing some pegs. <laughs> okay. When we talk about guarding our hearts, it's a very important part of that process to guard our minds and our thoughts. Our thoughts are going to have a direct impact on our lives and our mental and physical and spiritual health. When we look around the natural world, everything in it, every living thing, the mountains, the sea, the sun, the stars in the heaven, the earth and all its fullness thereof had its conception in the heart and mind of God before he ever spoke it into existence. So it is for every man-made product in the world. It first was conceived in the heart and mind of man before it was ever manifest in the natural. So our thoughts can eventually produce something. Our thoughts have substance. Leave it to God to perfectly capture in one simple one-line sentence from the scriptures the secret of being able to have good mental, spiritual and physical health in this life. In Proverbs 23.7 it says, As someone thinks within himself, so he is. What manifests from our thoughts could be negative or positive depending on what we are meditating on. In Philippians 4.8 gives us further instructions to fix our thoughts on what is true, what is honourable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. 
If we continually meditate on negative thoughts, we'll, we'll eventually produce negative conditions in our lives and more often than not, these thoughts produce sickness in our bodies. Many are walking along the path of life, dwell upon their mistakes and failures and disappointments. Satan is exultant when he can lead the children of God into unbelief and despondency. This was my story. After a marriage breakdown and after seeing the destruction of my home and family, instead of listening to the word of God and knowing who I was in Christ, regardless of my circumstances, I began to fill my thoughts with my failures and disappointments and condemnations and the lies of the enemy until my mind and my spirit and my body became very sick. The word says to us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, 5, cast down every imagination and reasoning and high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. I had the knowledge of God, but I entertained the high things and the imaginations and the reasonings and allowed these things to exalt themselves and set themselves up against that knowledge that I had. The enemy came in like a flood and gained a substantial stronghold in my life. The enemy didn't just want to lay bare the heartache from the marriage breakdown. He wanted to open every wound over my entire life. Every time I was abandoned, every time I was unloved, every time I was rejected, every unhappy and grief-stricken memory he could resurrect and lay bare that was his goal I'll just use my pegs first my spirit became very sick I couldn't pray anymore and I lost the music in my soul then my mental health deteriorated I became depressed and agoraphobic I couldn't leave the house then my physical body began to suffer with serious health problems, first beginning with migraines, then the collapse of my thyroid function, which caused a severe autoimmune response, where my immune system began attacking my own cells, causing severe skin rashes. I had adrenal exhaustion, and all this caused my body weight to balloon from 65 kilos to 114 kilos and it has an unballooned at the moment still ballooning unballooning ballooning over a period of six years I had three brain hemorrhages and I had a stroke with each brain hemorrhage so I was truly a mess and I was going down fast we are directly responsible for choosing what we think about and dwell on and then make sure that our thinking always lines up with the word of God and how he wants us to think about things. The power lies with us. We cannot blame anyone else, including God himself, if we have chosen with our own free will to constantly dwell on the negative and darker side of life. Scripture doesn't tell us that we're not to mourn or grieve. But it does tell us that there's a time for everything under heaven. 
We are not to stay in the valley of weeping. Psalm 84, 6 says, Passing through the valley of weepings, they make it a place of springs. The early rains are f- also fill the pools with blessing. The Lord will not force you out of the wilderness. He will make a path for you in the desert for you to follow. He will walk beside you and show you the way out. He will give you springs in the desert and fill the pools with blessing. It is up to us to let go of what is behind and not keep looking back to Egypt like the Israelites. The enemy of God has an advantage over you every time he can get you to press the replay button. Every time you go over the grief and the heartache of past wounds in your minds. The Lord promises us in Isaiah 61, beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. There is an exchange that happens in this scripture. We are to give the Lord our ashes and he will give us beauty. Give the Lord your mourning and he will give you oil of joy. Every time you hit that replay button, you say to the Lord, Lord, I I don't want the beauty. I'm going to hang on to the ashes. Lord, I don't want the oil of joy. I would rather continue to mourn. I spent 10 years of my life in the valley of weeping, wandering around in the desert, holding on to my ashes. I was unable to leave the house separated from the body of Christ. If the enemy can separate you from the body of Christ, he has got a distinct advantage over you. All the music in my soul was gone and I couldn't sing and I couldn't praise God anymore. It was so dark, I couldn't pray. My spirit, my mind and my body were completely broken. I asked God for death to come. I was lost in a continuous loop of condemnation, painful memories and grief-stricken recollections. Finally, when I had just as much as I could take, in desperation I cried out, I don't want to be in this place anymore take this pain and grief and heartache from me as soon as I called out to the Lord I found this tiny flame still burning in my heart like a small candle I spoke into that small flame a scripture that had always helped me through my life first it was barely a whisper Isaiah 40 31 those that hope in the Lord shall renew their strength They shall rise on wings of eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I began crying out in the darkness, I hope in you, Lord. I hope in you, Lord, until my cries became a shout. The darkness began to recede slowly at first, but then faster. And light flooded my life and I found my way out of the wilderness. And this time it didn't take years. It only took weeks. I realised I had held myself captive in this wilderness experience because instead of looking upward toward the Lord, I turned my eyes inward on myself. Many spend a lifetime in the wilderness. Some even die there. This could have been my portion, 
just as a whole generation of Israelites perished in the desert. But I chose the beauty the Lord was offering me. I chose to walk out of the desert into the promises the Lord has for my life and to never look back to Egypt. And he restored to me everything the canker worm has eaten. And the first thing the Lord gave me when I walked out of that desert place was a dream. I was dreaming that I was in a garden and the one who seemed to be the owner of the garden was conducting me through the paths. I was gathering the flowers and enjoying their fragrance. Then suddenly I found that I wasn't walking along the path anymore following the guide and I noticed some unsightly briars and thorns that were impeding my way. I began mourning and weeping. As I was walking among the briars and the thorns, I cried, Oh, isn't it a pity that this beautiful garden is spoiled with thorns? Then I heard the guide calling out to me, Let the thorns alone. They will only wound you. Gather the roses, the carnations and the lilies. When I awoke, the Spirit of the Lord began to minister to me. He said, have there not been some bright spots in your experience? Have you not had some precious seasons when your heart throbbed with joy in response to the Spirit of God? When you look back into the chapters of your life experiences, do you not find some pleasant pages there? Are not God's promises like the fragrant flowers growing beside your path on every hand? Will you not let their beauty and sweetness fill your heart with joy? So you see, God, what God was saying was the briars and the thorns will only wound and grieve you. And if you gather only these things and present them to others, are you not, besides slighting the goodness of God yourself, preventing those around you from walking the path of life? It is not wise for us to gather together all the unpleasant recollections of a post-life, its iniquities and disappointments, to talk over them and mourn over them until we are overwhelmed with discouragement. A discouraged soul is filled with darkness, shutting out the light from his own soul and casting a shadow upon the pathway of others. Thank God for the bright pictures which he has presented to us. Let us group together the blessed assurances of his, of his love that we may look upon them continually. These are the pictures which God would have us contemplate. So I'd like to close today with a, a song I heard, a verse and a chorus from a song called Ashes. It's a worldly song, but... I just heard these words and I thought they were appropriate here. The writer of the song is speaking to God and the, and the verse goes, Can you use these tears to put out the fires in my soul? Because I need you here. Because I've been shaking and I've been bending backwards until I'm broke, watching all these dreams go up in smoke. Let beauty come out of ashes let beauty come out of ashes. When I pray to God, all I ask is, can beauty come out of ashes? Can beauty come out of ashes? 
Well, I declare to you today and I testify that I am a living, breathing testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness. I testify the truth of his promise to you that beauty can come out of ashes and you can have the oil of joy for mourning if that is what you ask of him. Amen. Thank you. Wow. There's much to think about there, hey. But the thing that I've seen, I've been listening to right through is the choice. We have choices. We choose. So our next speaker, um, guarding, our, um, guarding Your Heart Through Loss, and it's Kathy Fowler. Hi. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Cathy Fowler, and I want to talk to you today about guarding your heart through loss. But before I do that, you really need to know a bit about me and what I actually lost. My story starts very predictably. I was raised in a beautiful Christian home in country Victoria with loving parents and three sisters. I made a commitment to Jesus at eight years of age and have trusted in him since. I moved to Melbourne to study music and was a bit rebellious with some of the boys I hung out with. But in 1992, my life changed when I met Graham. It really was love at first sight. Graham wasn't a Christian when we first met, but was searching and made a commitment to Jesus about nine months later. We married, had three beautiful daughters, and in my early 30s, I started searching for the more, more of Jesus. I wanted to know his plans for my life more and more. On a family church camp when my girls were little, Jesus spoke to me out loud in such an amazing way and simply told me to love people. And with his help, I try to live this out daily. Graham's relationship with God was growing steadily and he became a wonderful man of God who trusted him so faithfully. God moved us around a bit. We started our married life in Melbourne, lived in Launceston, Tasmania for five and a half years before, before God moved us, together with the Lunnons and Owens, to Bundaberg and eventually helped start Restoration Centre. We witnessed so much of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and those around us. We saw amazing healings and deliverances and as we came closer to God, we also continued to grow closer in our love for each other. We were in such an amazing place. We were church leaders, youth leaders, had so many loving Christian friends around us. Restoration Centre was such a loving, kingdom-focused church and we lacked nothing. We had good jobs. We had acclimatised to Queensland weather. Our girls were all grown up and leaving the nest. One night I even made the comment to Graham about ministry and how we can empathise with people when we had never had any real hardships in our life. Shouldn't say those things out loud, by the way. I've, our finances were never great, but we were always able to pay the bills. And this was easier with the girls all grown up. 
Yes, it was sometimes difficult living so far away from my family. They're all still in Victoria. But God has, is good and we have been very protected and taken care of. Neither of us had suffered with any major health scares. Life was getting better and better. For the first time in our lives, we could start and think about taking long service leave, travel, see our families and friends in Victoria and Tasmania. Life is good. We celebrated my 50th birthday and went on a cruise in 2018. We had a wonderful 25th wedding anniversary, including a hot air balloon ride in January 2019. But in May 2019, after a few weeks of tests because Gray wasn't feeling well, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer of the bowel and liver and was not given very long to live. May 2019 to January 2020, was an extremely difficult time for us both. Gray had all the chemo, scans and blood tests, but my life was changing too. This was a time of much prayer and love. Many of our friends and family in Victoria, Tasmania and Sydney visited and through it all, there was Jesus. In this time, God was preparing my heart. I believe he had been preparing me, guiding me and guarding me all of my life. And the overflow of this was about to play out. An important thing to know was that at no stage in Gray's illness did either of us think he was going to die. We were so sure that God was going to bring him through this. God had told Gray and other people that he would keep him alive. And he did for eight months longer than the doctors thought. But he did pass away to be with Jesus on January 18, 2020. I believe guarding your heart is about preparation. My preparation came from my relationship with Jesus. I believe the years of reading his word and following his will has kept my heart soft. Luke 6.45 says, For the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard in your words. I had to guard my heart when Gray was ill, when any thoughts about his death came to me. They were always only for a few seconds as I asked God to take them away from me. I didn't need to think about what was next because I knew God would be with me. I knew he would never leave me or forsake me. Now that Gray is gone, I have to constantly guard my heart. I have to guard my heart against asking why. Why does God heal some and take others to be with him? That is something we may never know, this side of heaven anyway. But if you go down that line of thinking, I do know that you'll be miserable. I know that God is good in all circumstances and I need to meditate on his goodness above my grief. When I start asking why, I know it's time to look at all the amazing things around me, the things he has done for me and the things he is doing through me. He has made me more creative in this new season. God has given me songs and poetry. Some of them have even been sung today. He has given me new friends to minister to, and now I can do more than just empathise. He has given me a greater understanding of suffering and pain, and he often gives me words of encouragement for other people. 
He has given me so many more opportunities to speak his name, even in the secular arena. He enabled me to share my testimony of his goodness at Relay for Life last year. Yes, I got to speak to hundreds of people about God's goodness while I was a very new widow. He has given me strength and courage to live out his plans for me. And courage I have needed. Remember our verse about the overflow of your heart? Well, in Matthew 12:34 it says, "For what has been stored up in your hearts will be heard in the overflow of your words." Two and three days after Gray passed, my daughters Emily and Charlotte were separately summoned to Graham's parents' house. For two and three hours, they were told what a bad person I am and what a bad son Graham was because we spent so much of our time at church. They refused to come to Gray's funeral and have cut us out of, out of their lives. This was horrible, but God said, let it go, and I've forgiven them. For a time, he put them out of my mind, but every now and then, he prompts me about them. He is softening my heart more and more towards them. I'm not sure whether there will be some kind of encounter with them or whether this is just part of his working on my heart. But I am learning you can guard your heart against those who may wish you badly without becoming hard. I feel ready for whatever God has next. About nine years ago, he gave, gave me my life verse, a scripture that would always mean so much to me. I thought it was to guide me through all my interstate moves, but I know it is meant for so much more now. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Guarding my heart has taught me to be kind to myself. It's okay for me to grieve. There is no real timeline for this. I can go a few months and be strong and brave and feel like I've got it all together. And then suddenly, I'm a mess. The first year was very difficult. For months, I couldn't handle Saturdays because he passed on a Saturday. Graham missed our twins' 21st birthday. There was his diagnosis day, my birthday, his birthday, Christmas. The list goes on and on. I know it is different for everyone, but for me, I find the lead-up much harder than the actual event. And I know this is an area of my life I need to work on. One thing I've learned to do is to make plans. When Saturdays were difficult, I would make plans to visit a friend or go out to dinner. I have a lovely friend who invites me to her place for a yummy lunch or we go to Pacific Coffee. Another friend has become my plus one from whenever I need her. Again, God's word always helps. And Jude read this out too. We read in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the verses preceding these are, Philippians 4, 6, 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
this was where my testimony was meant to finish. But God's been working so much on my heart over the last couple of weeks. You see, I've been trying so hard in my own strength to stay, to stay strong that I didn't realise I was getting run down. I'd filled my life with so much doing, so much trying to please others and fill gaps. Two weeks ago, I could barely keep my eyes open at work, but I didn't really see I had a problem until a few close friends and family spoke to me. In my run-down state, I'd been snappy and not a nice Christian girl, and I hadn't even realised it. I want to apologise to anyone here I've offended over the last couple of weeks. I'm sorry, and I want you to know that I'm learning to say no when I need to, so I'm not so run down and overwhelmed. Guarding your heart means you listen to Jesus and the people he has put into your life to help you. Keeping busy does not help you grieve. It actually fills your life with more stress and anxiety and distracts you from what he really has for you. Instead, we need to be under his feathers. We need to shelter there and let him comfort us. To finish, I'd like to read Psalm 91, verses 1 to 4. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> that was wow. Thank you so much, Kathy. I really appreciate the speakers and their um, honesty, their, their speaking from the heart and what's really going on in their lives, what they're really <laughs> Someone's just was going to hand me a packet of tissues. I've got actually got a box next to me. It's all good. <laughs> but just hearing from the heart what's really going on and and to trust us with that is such a treasure and I just thank you so much ladies for doing that it's it's been an honor just to listen to you and um, I would like to now um, our last speaker is coming up shortly and um, but after that we will actually open up for prayer again so um, when the last speaker has finished if um, um, Julie would come forward and your team come forward so so um, people know that there are people here ready to pray with you. So please, if anything has touched your heart, uh, something that's um, that you want prayer for, uh, someone to stand with you about anything, please come forward. The ladies um, will pray with you and stand with you. So um, guarding your heart through loss and separation is our next... Uh, through... Um, uh, separation and divorce. Uh, our next speaker is Jenny Heckethorne and I can't see her. There she is. Thank you.
Hi, my name's Jenny Heckethorne. I've lived in Bundaberg for 20, nearly 27 years, which probably means I'm about halfway to being considered a local. I love living in Bundy. Life rarely turns out the way we expect it to, does it? As good old Colin Buchanan reminds us in his song, Nothing Takes God by Surprise. I was, however, taken completely by surprise in 2008 when, quite out of the blue, I discovered that my husband was leaving me for another woman. My husband of nearly 21 years, who had been a pastor and with whom I'd always shared in Christian ministry, the dad of our two wonderful teenagers. For a woman who was also married, was part of our small home group and who was my closest friend at the time. I remember well the weeks and months following and the feeling of such heaviness and despair and the constant physical ache in my heart. I knew I needed to keep going for the sake of my kids, but I could barely get out of bed to face another day. I couldn't eat or sleep. I remember looking at people at the shopping centre and wondering how on earth life seemed to be so normal for them when the bottom had definitely dropped out of my world. I remember crying on the phone to my mum, who lives in Melbourne, and asking, will it ever get better? It hurts so much. Divorce really is a tearing apart of, a, of one flesh. No wonder it's so devastating. For me, it was not just a mourning of all that was lost from the past, but also a grieving of all the dreams that the future had held. Our children's weddings, grandchildren coming along, retirement dreams, growing old comfortably together. So what changed? I'm no longer a wreck I was then. I am stronger and deeply happy and my life is full of joy and purpose. I love and am grateful for every aspect of my life. Well, the short answer, of course, is God, but let's take a few minutes to think about the long answer. People often say that time is the great healer. I don't think that's necessarily true. Some people grow more and more bitter and resentful. You've probably met people like that who can't seem to get beyond some injustice that's been done to them. The passage of time certainly does take the edge off the rawness of situations, but I believe firmly that God is the great healer. Of course, thankfully, not all of you have experienced the sadness and hurt of divorce, but perhaps you've been betrayed or deeply wounded by someone you loved or been brought desperately low for some reason. Hopefully these ways that I found to guard my heart will ring true for you too. I do have to say that in the early days, I wasn't trying in any way to thrive or flourish. I just needed to survive and make it through the next hour. It's still sometimes not that easy and I certainly don't want to play down the trauma and devastation of divorce. But in looking back, I see how important these things were in coming to a really good place of healing and wholeness in God. Number one, the word of God. I particularly soaked in the Psalms. You've probably done the same 
same in times of crises, of identifying so well with the psalmist when he cries out things like, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish. Or, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. So often the cry of the psalmist's heart echoed my own and it brought great comfort to know that others, even many centuries before, had been as broken and found their solace in God. And then I feel that God showed his particular and tender care for me by giving me about eight Bible verses that I wrote on a little piece of paper and that I carried in my pocket for well over a year. I got changed and put it in the next pocket of whatever I was wearing. It was very scrunkled by the time I felt it was in my heart so well that I didn't need that physical reminder with me at every moment. These life-giving verses specifically covered every issue that I have faced in coming to terms with what happened and in being able to move on and were a wonderful reminder of how precious God's word was to me at that time. Let me just share a couple of those. Isaiah 43 verse 18 says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now at the time, which was just months after my husband had left, I thought that was way too soon for God to be telling me to forget things and moving on. I wasn't ready to do that. I didn't want to forget everything about those special family times and dive into this wonderful new future. But it became such an amazing promise to me that my life wasn't over and that God could and would bring beauty out of the ashes and that there was a a path forward that was full of hope that would be worth worth finding and following. And that path has been difficult often, but now I feel overwhelmed with the joy of the abundant life that God has given me. And the other verse I'll quickly tell you about was John 21 verse 22 where after the resurrection when Jesus meets his disciples on the beach Peter asks Jesus what's going to happen to John and Jesus says to him what is that to you? In other words Peter your job is to mind your own business and get on with your life. In those early days and many times since actually I was obsessed eaten up with wondering this or that about their life or what they were doing with my children or what their plans were. That's not good. You can't live like that. One of the terrible ironies of life is that betrayal can be as connective as love. It can fill your mind and warp all your senses. That person you want to think about least becomes the one of whom you think of the most. But this little phrase... What is that to you? Cut that off completely. Every time my thoughts went to wondering about things that were just not my business, Jesus said very gently and firmly, Jenny, what is that to you? You live your life and leave the rest to me. Number two, 
experience the presence of Jesus in your life intimately. How do people get through a dreadful get through dreadful events and situations without God? I have no idea. I remember lying on our trampoline very late one night and looking up into the depths of space with its myriad of stars and knowing that although our God is the creator of all those galaxies, he was, all right, all, he was also right there with me and that eventually everything was going to be all right. That he cared that my family was irreparably torn apart and that my heart was broken and that I was worn out with weeping. If we can but see it, there is a blessing that comes with suffering. It is knowing that Jesus is all you have and that's enough. Matthew 5 verse 4 in the message says, You're blessed when you feel you've loved, sorry, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. Johnny Erickson Tater, who has and still does have her share of suffering says when we suffer we realize that we are not handling theological ideas rather we are being handled by a person the warm the intimate person of the lord jesus at other times when life is rosier we may slide by with knowing about him with imitating him and quoting him and speaking of him but only in the fellowship of suffering will we know Jesus. And I know that many of you women here know that very sweet place of experiencing the deepest joy in communion with Jesus whilst also experiencing such sorrow and loss. A friend showed me that in Isaiah 53.4 it talks about Jesus not only bearing our burdens but also our sorrows. With every pang of hurt, Jesus says, no need to dwell on that. That's my hurt now. It doesn't belong to you. Number three, choices. I found that sometimes you just have to be tough on yourself and do hard things, knowing that each step you take away from yourself and your brokenness is actually moving you closer to wholeness in God. It brings us to a place of completely trusting God, of being able to say, God, I don't like this and I don't understand it and I don't see how any good can, come, can possibly come out of it but I trust you and I will worship you and give you thanks despite what I see and feel. I do really know that your thoughts and ways are so much higher than mine and I willingly submit to all you allow in my life. We know that God could prevent or take away our troubles but the fact that he chooses not to must mean that he has a plan that we can't envisage and that it is good. I'm not sure where I heard this, if it was in a book or a podcast or a sermon, but I wrote it down because I wanted to think about it a bit more. The fact that our suffering remains when God has the ability to remove it may be a sign of compassion we don't yet understand. And then the very next day... I had the opportunity to see that very thing in action. I have a little grandson, Peter, who, and I was visiting his family. 
the day before he'd got a splinter in his hand, no doubt from his determination to climb the wooden fence. He definitely did not want his mum poking and probing. So she put on a band-aid with betadine and a sock over his whole hand. Peter was not a happy chappy about that. If he could have talked, I'm sure he would have said, hey, why are you doing that? You're cramping my style. I don't like it. In his mind, his mum was inflicting something unnecessary on him for no reason, but nothing could be further from the truth. It was completely all about their love and care for him. And God, in his great wisdom and love, does the same for us. Our job is not really to work out why. It is learn to learn to choose to trust him and his good purposes. Number four, forgiveness. In the book, The Shack, Papa says to the main character, Mac, forgiveness is first for you, the forgiver, to release you from something that will eat you alive, that will destroy your joy and your ability to love fully and openly. And in another place, Papa says, forgiveness is not about forgetting, it's about letting go of another person's throat. This has been a journey for me, but, I know, but you know, you can't really go past this verse in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. When I stop and consider my sin before God and the incredible gift of grace he has given me, another person's wrongs against me is almost insignificant. How can I not forgive another in the light of all that God has forgiven me? We don't get what we deserve. We deserve punishment and get forgiveness. We deserve wrath and get love. We deserve stern lectures and, and crawl on your heart. Oh, sorry. We deserve stern lectures and crawl on your knees repentance. And we get a banquet served before us instead. How much love and mercy is that? Number five, church family and dear Christian friends. Just as we find comfort in God's presence, so we find comfort in his people. You know, those sort of friends to whom you can just say, hey, I've had a terrible day. I don't really want to talk about it, but can we just hang out? I have been so, so blessed to have family and friends who have loved me and encouraged me and prayed with and for me and helped me in so many practical ways. Speaking of practical things, one of those verses on my little piece of paper was from Isaiah 54, 5, which says, The Lord your God, sorry, the Lord God your maker is your husband. You know, having had a husband and a family, it was often so hard to have to start to do things alone, to go out for meals or to parties, even to church. What do you do when the bore pump breaks down yet again, when you need to buy a new car or, any, or do any of a multitude of things that you haven't done before? Sometimes God just performed miracles to provide for me. Other times he sent kind and generous people with information and expertise. And I started to consciously think, that I wasn't actually going to any social event alone. Jesus was my date. 
You can't do much better than that. Number six, gratitude and contentment. We know, don't we, that thankfulness is so important to count our blessings and be grateful. Contentment with our lot, whatever that may be, turns whatever we have into enough and more. Early on, I did something that made this a very tangible part of my life. I read a book with a friend called 1000 Gifts. The author started a notebook in which she aimed to record the moments of blessing or touches of grace from God that she noticed in her everyday life, which turned the mundane into the abundant. So ever since, my friend and I have been keeping each other accountable by weekly sharing these gifts in our notebooks. It's such a good habit to be on the lookout for God breaking into your life with his beauty and grace. And if you're, in, if you're fortunate enough to have a close friend to share with, it just, keeps, it just helps you not lose the plot. It's a bit embarrassing to turn up after a whole week and have no gifts because you know it's not that God hasn't given them but that you're just too preoccupied or distracted to notice. No, my life hasn't turned out the way I wanted or expected it would. But God has been so faithful and so kind and so real through it all. It makes you realise that anything, anything that brings you closer to God is actually a gift from him. Let me finish with these verses from Isaiah 60, which I hope will encourage you, especially if you are in the middle of a desperately hard time. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises up in you. Lift up your eyes and look about you. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Wow. If there's anyone here that hasn't given their life to the Lord... Today would be a good day to do that. The ladies will come up, uh, will be praying up the front here um, after the um, service. Please come up and um, just let the ladies know that you want to give your life to the Lord because it is he, he is your rock. He is the one that you stand on. He is the one that gives you the help. And uh, today will be a good day to do that. Julie's going to close in prayer, um, so if you could come up, Julie, that would be great. What a blessing. Father, I just thank you. Thank you for all that you have done in our lives. Father, I just, right now, I want to seal... I want to ask you to seal every word that's been spoken, everything that you have done today in each and every person's heart, that there will be new beginnings of freshness, of restoration, of healing, of deliverance.
and joy in you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. You are good. The king of my heart be the wind inside my sails, the anchor and the waves. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. Oh, he is my song. You are good. You're good. Oh 
holding on when the night when the night is holding on to me god is holding on when the night is holding on to me god is holding on you are good you are good you're good I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been Every 
and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. sing that again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you. He's for you, 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 he's for you,
children and their children and their children may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you all around you and within you he is with you he is with you in the morning in the evening in your coming and your going in your weeping and rejoicing he is for you 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 Face to all. 